please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello, good morning. It's Wednesday, the 12th of May 2021, which means it's time for another morning espresso. Now, those of you who are not so familiar with the format, if you're watching live, you can click below on the button and choose different languages. So we have translators uh, translating this uh, live as we go along. You also have a Q&A button. So if you have questions to ask, then please do um, click that button and send them across to us in your language, that's no problem. Or of course, you can always send emails to nordiafunds at nordia.com. Right, this morning to kick things off, uh, we're gonna talk macroeconomics. And for that, I'm joined by Sebastian Gali, who is our senior macro strategist. So good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Hi. So Sebastian, today we're taking a look at the Nordic region. Now, of course, um, Sweden chose not to go into an official lockdown. Um, so certainly the domestic economy didn't suffer in the same way um, as most countries in the developed world. But what's the situation uh, now in Sweden? You know, how are things going? Well, it's going pretty good. So the growth indicator was basically better than expected. That is, the GDP was above expectations, which is quite good news. And if you focus on the next slide, then what you're going to see is that the PMIs for manufacturing, which are available here on the slide on the left, uh, in Sweden and also in other uh, countries within the Nordics, are all pointing up. So you have a good story from the manufacturing side, which of course is uh, is important in the case of Sweden. It's a very open economy to the rest of the world, um, but it is uh, a, a broader story that is uh, a rebound, which is uh, which is a, a one which should continue going forward. There was much speculation that the central bank of Sweden, called the Riksbank, a very old central bank uh, would decide basically to go for more negative rates uh, from the current level. Um, and, uh, and this is not going to pan out most likely. The central bank is on hold for the foreseeable future. So you can imagine maybe two years of uh, low rates. But what is more likely to happen in the coming quarters is what we're seeing right now in the United States, a reopening of the economy, labor market basically suddenly picks up. Uh, everything starts to look much better than it did before. And eventually you get a change in monetary policy, which uh, should turn more hawkish in six to 12 months uh, in Sweden. And what we've seen also in the latest print of the labor data in the US is that the recovery will not be even, it will be uneven. The labor data was $266,000 for non-farm payroll instead of a million, which was expected. And you should expect the same thing in Sweden or in uh, Norway uh, going forward. That is uh, a somewhat uneven recovery, but a very positive one uh, going forward, starting somewhere in uh, July. In August, you have to realize the vaccinations are a little bit disappointing also in Sweden, but it's still a great story, not only in Sweden, but also in Norway. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Whenever we talk about Nordic equities, we always mention that, you know, it's a kind of a reflection of, of the whole world because you have all sorts of different industries. A lot of them are very export oriented. So when the world does well, the Nordics tend to do well uh, in, in sync. 
that that is correct right and and not only are they doing well because the rest of the world is doing well but they're doing well because they're doing well also internally and particularly is the case of, of Norway which is also supported of course because of its oil uh, industry uh, is doing quite well with uh, rising oil prices exactly great so let's um, pull up the summary slide because there's a couple of points that we need to take away from from this um, first of all we're talking you just mentioned them Norway um, the Norge Bank is set to to increase their, their rates uh, in the second half of, of this year. And that means Norwegian fixed income and Norwegian krona, perhaps an uh, appealing opportunity. Yeah, and you have to realize that very few central banks around the world are doing anything else than loosening or keeping on hold. One of the exceptions is the Bank of Canada. Another exception is the Norges Bank. They already offer very good yield uh, and at uh, current level, and it should uh, continue to improve in the coming quarter. So uh, an interesting place to post uh, some diversification away from more standard European fixed income. And listeners probably won't be that surprised to hear that we do have a range of Nordic solutions, include, including uh, some Norwegian Kronos strategies as well. So um, <laughs> I just mentioned that in passing. Then the other thing, the Nordic economies are in this early stage of an upswing, um, like you said, because of domestic and also international trade. And uh, we, we think this could be an interesting uh, diversifier within an European equities portfolio. So when you map uh, European, uh, the MSCI, which is a, a big benchmark for Nordic economies versus uh, what you can find in Europe, you find that they're very correlated uh, and they tend to, to behave the same way. However, uh, the Nordic equities are more stable. They, they have less downside, which is a, a surprising result. Excellent. Thank you, Sebastian, for that. And before we move on, perhaps worth pointing out that here at Nordea, we do, of course, have a range of Nordic equity and fixed income solutions, should you wish to get exposure to those asset classes. So this week we are discussing Chinese fixed income. And actually, last week, I mentioned that if you're not sure why you should be investing in this asset class, that we will definitely be helping you out today. So that is our mission. And to that end, I am joined by Paula Chan from Manulife in Hong Kong, and she is portfolio manager of our Remimbi bond strategy. So good morning, Paula. Good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Who better to talk about uh, Chinese fixed income than you? So uh, that's that's great. And, uh, you know, we've had you on before. So, so welcome back again. Thank you. So to kick things off, perhaps, Paolo, you could tell us generally, you know, why is it that investors should consider China for their um, bond portfolio? And more specifically, you know, why is now a good time to be adding exposure? Yes, definitely. If we can have the um, slide for the index inclusion, please. Yep. There we go. Thank you. Um, so before I discuss um, the thematic theme here, um, I would like to share with the audience a bit of the background of the current fixed income market. The current um, China fixed income market remains dominant by the local investor. And over 60% of the Chinese government bond is owned by the banks. And foreign ownership uh, is still remain around 3% of the entire fixed income market, which in our view is underinvested. Mm. And, the, and the in foreign investor, they are concentrated in the Chinese government bond and policy bank bonds. And the reason for that is because these two instruments um, is 
the core stone for the index inclusion thematic and the Chinese government bonds market offer duration up to 50 year bonds, which is very um, limited among the Asian countries. And furthermore, these instruments receive the best market liquidity compared to credit bonds, for example. Now, if we look at the, the simple chart here, which lay out the time frame for the index inclusion, and the Chinese government bonds and the policy bank bonds are on the right track for all the all the all these global indices to be included, and that will trigger or to attract in for the passive inflow as estimated to be 300 billion into the Chinese bond market. And we yeah. have been seeing this continual inflow since the beginning of the year of this year. Although we have a slightly negative um, outflow in March, but just today we received the April numbers and it still continue, continue to show um, inflow into the Chinese fixed income market. So we believe that the foreign ownership will continue to grow from this structural trend a trend mm -hmm. such as the renminbi international internationalization and index inclusion yeah that's a lot of money isn't it 300 billion and that three percent like you say is very low so um yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll probably see that change dramatically uh in the not too distant future so yeah good reason to to be looking at this right now as our audience will be well aware, um, China was among the first sort of major economies to emerge from the pandemic, which now means that, you know, they find themselves ahead of the recovery curve and are actually going into a tightening cycle right now. So that's obviously in contrast to the majority of the Western world. We just heard about Norway as another exception. But from your perspective, you know, what are the main themes now for the macro scenario in, in sort of mainland China? Definitely, Paul. Can we have the slide on the key takeaway for MPC meeting? This, Thank you very much. One? Yeah. Yep, great. So um, we have this of macro thematic in a nutshell. So I think we met in um, last morning espresso where in early um, this year, um, into March, we have the NPC meeting, which clearly uh, provide more information for the macro development in China. Now, mm -hmm. the growth outlook is pretty much very close to our, our expectation of 6% for this year. And the prudent management is the key across fiscal, monetary, and private sector. And we are seeing slightly lower in the fiscal spending, whereas the monetary policy cycle is remaining stable with selective tightening by the PBOC to withdraw the pandemic liquidity injection um, through the open market operation, which is the short-end liquidity management tool. But the key point to make is that there is no um, communication from the central banks, whereas they are looking at to so-called turn around their policy, policy direction. So we mm -hmm. are not expecting um, any change in the benchmark interest rate. While more interestingly is the proactive leverage management in the property sector since, since December 2020, which mm -hmm. is to ensure that the credit leverage in the system is to support the longer term growth in China. Well, if we look at the Chinese government bond yield right now, um, it's pretty much recovered to the pre-pandemic level. In my mm -hmm. view, the market is already tightened for PBOC 
which for us is positive because the market is confident enough for the growth outlook and the rate market has adjusted themselves rather than PBOC um, pull the trigger and to hike rate. So that means for us, that means the market volatility, the yield volatility is relatively low compared to the last year when we had the adjustment since uh, the middle of the year. While we think that PPOC has been quite clear, clearly to uh, communicate to the market that they have no intention to change their um, policy uh, in, the, in the near term, or at least a couple of quarters for this year. And we also have to remember that this year is the 100 years celebration for China. So therefore, the, the possibility for any um, changes for the monetary policy is pretty minimum in our, our view. Now we have um, questions about the recent um, increase in the inflations, especially for the PPI side. But yeah. I think we should um, be mindful that we had that cycle in the past where we also seen commodity prices um, rising quite aggressively. But we think that this time around, we still seem very limited transition into the CPI to start. And we believe that because of the industry competitiveness and the technology innovation in various sectors, especially the, the raw material sector, we think that the, uh, this, this will help to ease the pass through um, to the CPI. So we are not too concerned about the commodity prices inflation. And, you and if we take a deep dive to the China CPI numbers breakdown, um, pork or the food prices is really the key driver as we, we saw uh, last year. So that again has already uh, recovered uh, or to ease to the lower side. So uh, net net, the inflation uh, concern is not on our radar. So therefore it's also echoing um, the interest rate rate movement for this year will be stable. I think the market generally um, taking the tightening a bit too seriously and thinking that, okay, this tightening meaning a, a rate high cycle is coming. But I think from on the ground information and what we see from here, um, we think that it's a more targeted um, tightening and it will be very uh, carefully managed not to be putting too much pressure for the strong recovery that we have seen in China. And it's super interesting that you mentioned that because that's part of the point, isn't it? That being on the ground, being local, you pick up things like this and, and this helps you achieve those, those long-term re, uh, returns that you're achieving because of that local knowledge. So uh, that, that's great. Another question, you know, here in, in Europe and to a lesser extent, I guess in the US as well, we are continue to be faced with like low or even in some cases negative yields in the in the bond markets. How do things look when it comes to you know Chinese fixed income, and also how do they compare with other you know investment grade sovereign bonds? Sure. Um, if we have, can we have the chart for the attractive U, please? Yeah. Thank you. So we. It would be a um, very simple way of looking at things is always great. So we put on a very um, simple bar chart on the right of, um, of this slide to illustrate where China government yield is standing. 
So what interesting is that if we if there are several key supportive driver for China fixed income market, which we dis discussed already um, um, last morning at Expresso, and it, we will talk about it again um, later this part of the presentation. And I think the first and the foremost interesting part is the yield differential. Um, of course, this is the local yield comparison, and uh, investor always um, concerned about the after hatch uh, rate. Yeah. But let's yeah. stay with the um, nominal yield for now. Um, I take a quick look at the comparison. Actually, um, beyond what we see here, I look at the Finland government bond yield this morning, and surprising to me that the Chinese government bond yield is trading above. Uh, the Finland government yield by 330 basis points. Now, mm -hmm. I do understand that there is a hedge cost for investor that is concerned about the currency movement, but later part for we, we will discuss the, the currency outlook. But for now, yeah. I think the current yield of 300 basis points would be pretty much sufficient to buffer the currency movement. And we will talk about that later. And, mm. and not only that, if we look at the for the global asset investor, which invests across the globe uh, for different developed market. Uh, let's take a look at the next uh, slide with the adjusted return and diversification benefit. Mm -hmm. I want to highlight to investor that is more adventurous or looking at much more border base for their portfolio. Uh, what we've seen is quite interesting is that the China, China bond market is actually offering low correlation with other major asset classes. Well, it is very easy to explain. It's because the China monetary policy cycle is still remain quite independent against other developed markets. And if we look in the past rate hike and easing cycle, um, China is often offering about six to nine months ahead of this um, major peers like the US, for instance. So that help um, to lower the correlation. And second is that we still have to respect the fact that the China market is still ongoing for their opening and their globalization process. So somewhat that will offer a more stable return and more resilient in their return um, characteristic uh, through the cycle compared to other developed markets. Exactly. So, so these are the main benefits that Chinese bonds could bring to investors in terms of portfolio construction, that decorrelation that you were mentioning there as well. Could you perhaps give us um, a broad sort of overview of the onshore credit markets in China and, you know, what are the drivers of, of both risk and return? Yes, definitely. Um, can we have the onshore market? Um, yeah. Perfect. Um, well, the onshore credit market is, is remaining and quite an interesting uh, market for us to, to learn and navigate. Um, I would say that I'd like to highlight two major points to the investor. First of all, the onshore credit market for us um, is still considered underdeveloped. From the perspective of the market pricing and what we meant is that there are only few key credit curves and pricing is generally homogeneous. What do we mean by that is that the top graph um, on, on the page where you see that there is only three um, key benchmark credit curve. 
Um, and they price quite homogeneously because everything fall under the same category. Credit ratings will be pricing pretty much on the same level. Um, and, and that's one characteristic. And second is that compared to the, to the more developed credit market, for instance, like in the Europe or even in the dollar Asian debt market, where you have much more um, fragmented or, or more differential between the single rating category. For instance, we have the double A plus, flat, minus, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. China market, they don't offer such a differential as of mm -hmm. now. Be mm -hmm. Second point is that we have to be mindful that the credit rating that we are looking at and sharing is the onshore rating scale. And completely honest, the triple A onshore rating is not the triple A compared to the international um, Fitch S&P Moody's triple A rating. So okay. investor, when they navigate to the onshore market, they have to be mindful that yeah. these two differences. Yeah. So, but having said that, when we in, um, invest in the onshore credit market, we do manage to, to navigate and, and to find the investment opportunity that we think is interesting. For instance, now we are going through the deleveraging process. And what that means is it means that consolidation in different industries is happening. And that means we, are, we will be expecting more default in the private owned companies sector. And mm -hmm. we're seeing that that means we, we, we are seeing some so-called clouding out effects is happening, meaning that the stronger will get stronger. So we like the, the fact that that is happening and is benefiting for us who is investing in both the onshore and the offshore market. And we're focusing on the first tier SO, state-owned enterprise company and yep. the top um, companies in other sectors. Now, the credit market duration is much shorter than the, China, than the government bond and the policy banks bonds. And most of the liquidity and the opportunities is actually hovering around uh, the three years duration market, which for us is quite nice. And mm. for some valuation comparison, for the first tier state-owned enterprise and financials, they are trading around 50, 60 per, uh, basis point above uh, Chinese government bonds for the equivalent um, tenor. And for the first tier property companies is almost 200 basis point above this Chinese government bonds. And we focus on the issuer that is, again, issuing in other uh, foreign currencies so that investor could get the transparency as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you've taught me something new there. I didn't realize that the, the ratings were slightly different and you didn't have that granularity. So that, that's uh, super interesting to, to know. You had another slide as well, didn't you, um, on this topic? Um, we do have the Chinese property sector. Uh, it will be great if we can have a minute on this because I yeah, think sure. early on, yeah, thank you. Early on, we talk about um, how the, the government, the regulator is preemptive um, in terms of regulating or to, to, I would say that a stronger word of reining in the leverage that is in the system. To us, this is very positive because they knowing that they don't want to have a over leverage situation that especially in the property sector which we all know yeah. that is the key <laughs> contributor 
to the yeah. GDP, especially the, the lock-on effect um, into other sectors. So uh, yeah. that is happening since December 2020, where we first seeing um, the free red lines regulation imposed by the regulator to all the property developer, where they have to be mindful in terms of their balance sheet expansion. And second, we are seeing that the, the land sales is being on a very transparent and regulated schedule. And thirdly, we're seeing the bank's um, lending activities is also being um, regulated, especially to the property sector. So all in all, it show us that these are helping the to solidify or to consolidate and strengthen the property developer balance sheet so that they are they will be much 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 more robust in in terms of supporting the longer term growth for china and that is one of the reason we liking the sector so much and especially we are seeing that the the stronger ones um it's actually quite easy or they are tapping the onshore onshore fixed income market and so for us that is a opportunities we are capturing for our end investor as well mm -hmm. there's, the, there's that word stabilize maybe i link that to my next question because you already touched on it um, previously regarding exchange rates and of course for euro or sterling investors there's always that concern with respect, well, obviously there's a hedging cost involved, but also the currency volatility. And I just wonder whether you feel it's justified that concern um, and what your outlook is for the renminbi going, going forward. Definitely. We had a pretty strong uh, performance year for renminbi, uh, especially the last quarter, 2020. And yeah. for this year, so far, we are into the fourth month of, of this year. And what I'm seeing is that the CFAX weighted index is continuing to appreciate so far this year. Well, mm -hmm. we respect the long-term supporting factor for renminbi. Uh, we have the, the quite amazing trade data just earlier, uh, la uh, sorry, last week. Um, and however, I think we should also be aware that there are other factors that could be potentially driving the renminbi performance for the rest of the year. For instance, um, investor, if we recall, um, towards the later part of last year, the regulator is already talking about um, increasing the foreign investor quota for the local investor to repatriate out of their, of their money. Mm -hmm. And second, we have the um, long overdue talk between China and the US with regards to the trade arrangement. And obviously we are going into the May seasonality factor where, which is usually unfavorable for renminbi because of the ex-share dividend payment. So, and don't forget the geopolitical um, setting is so busy. <laughs> Yeah. this year and it's never ending headlines um in the south china sea taiwan hong kong whatnot um you know middle east and uh, however the market to me i feel that it's still underpriced with the risk that is embedded into the system mm -hmm. so i think the the if we step back and look at the positive and the negative the factor on the both sides of the argument is pretty balanced so I think 
that would be pointing to our, our view that the, the remnant B itself will probably uh, behaving in the range bound environment um, for the rest of the year. Uh, we are looking for a relatively tight range, um, to be frank, against the US dollar 6.4. To the, mm -hmm. to the appreciation side and 6.8 for the depreciation side. And if we break any factor that is driving it to break for 6.4, uh, we are looking at 6.2 at, at the near term bottom. Um, if we pull out the much longer um, performance for dollar, uh, the, the renminbi, if we can show uh, one slides um, yeah. that we put together for the currency, please. Yes, thank you. As you can see, um, the, the range that we are talking about is pretty much aligned with the historical um, uh, performance for renminbi as well. So we are not so one-weighted um, view this year, to be honest. Um, we will be a bit more cautious um, when we assessing the performance for renminbi. Cool. All right, so um, plenty of reasons to be bullish on this asset class. Uh, maybe we could pull up the summary slide now and we'll just go through uh, the main points that we've covered this morning. Um, we'll just bring it up now. So, you know, first of all, on the opportunity side, we've got those high nominal and real yields actually as well. That low correlation that you mentioned earlier with, with the various asset classes and that diversification benefit that that brings with it, of course. Um, there's a growing interest in ESG. We haven't really touched upon this, but uh, maybe you could say a few words just at the end here when I, when I finish this summary slide. Um, perhaps also, you know, like you were just saying, the Remimbi is, is going to be um, range bound, we think. Uh, so that fluctuation and, and that um, those currency uh, concerns are perhaps less important right now. On the risk side, you know, of course, we have high interest rates uh, in the US potentially as well going forward. Corporate defaults um, and, and governance challenges that you mentioned before as well. Um, and that credit differentiation is still improving. So, you know, as we put at the bottom here, we believe that well resourced, and, and we talked about it as well, you know, being on the ground, active management is really key here. And um, and that's that's the way that you can sort of navigate through this uh, through the bond market that's that's in a very dynamic state right now. That would be the conclusion. Maybe you could just touch on the green bonds because that's not something we really talked about this morning. Yes, definitely. Um, I think for the green um, bonds discussion, we briefly talk about it in the last uh, morning espresso. So yes. for a quick. Um, quarter update, uh, we're definitely seeing growing interest um, in, in the China ESG or green market. However, said that the growth is still gradual, it's not as happening as quickly compared to the Asian dollar bond market. In the, in the dollar Asian debt market, we definitely just, for instance, today, um, just today in the new deal, we are already seeing almost half of the deals are tagged with the e, uh, with sustainability, green, etc. And those are the Chinese corporate as well. So from the from their intention and their direction, I'm definitely sure that for the onshore market, that will be the same trend, and that is quite uh, in line 
for the Chinese regulator direction from their, their five-year plan as well, which we talk about. They want to achieve carbon neutral by 2060 and to be um, zero uh, carbon emission by 2030. Time is running quite fast. So um, definitely the, the trend is here. I think now is to get the investor more familiar, especially for the onshore um, investor base. I, I, I see that more education and more awareness uh, has to be done. So that is the chicken and egg really, like if yeah. the, the pull and push factor is working harder, I'm sure the trend is, is going to be moving very quickly from here. So for us, we are monitoring almost the primary market for, for the onshore corporate deal quite closely because we are seeing opportunities here and there, and we try to capture as much as we can. Um, the government bond side, after the pandemic, we are not seeing much happening from the green side. I think the, mm -hmm. the corporate side would be the interesting ones to, to look at. Great. Well, um, exciting times for sure. And uh, we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on this and seeing how things develop and uh, look forward to having you on Morning Espresso again in the future. But thank you for joining us this morning, Paula. Thank you so much, everyone. So next week on the 19th of May, we will be celebrating the fifth anniversary of our Global Star Strategy. Now, those of you familiar with Nordea will already know that when you hear stars, that refers to our dedicated ESG range. So what we'll be doing is looking back over the past five years and also looking ahead for the next five years. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert microsite at nordia.lu, where you will find all of the past interviews um, and also podcast versions of those interviews as well. And then, of course, our other website is nordiaassetmanagement.com. That's it for this week. Look forward to seeing you next Wednesday.